I think the swamp is coming for Joe. <laughs> this is a big deal, folks. Um, yeah, he's still being protected. He still has a lot of allies, the media, but he's vulnerable here. He is, as lawyers would say, exposed. There's exposure for Joe Biden with these classified documents found at that office he maintained for several years in Washington, D.C. Now, first of all, a quick review. It was a no-show job provided by the University of Pennsylvania, the Biden-Penn Center for Global Diplomacy Engagement, blah, 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 blah. No classes taught. Joe shows up once in a blue moon and gets paid $900,000 over two years. Uh, that's a lot of money, isn't it? Now, that office, I had it all the way until, well, November, just before the election. Lawyers working for Joe Biden, well, I'd like to know more about that, found 10 classified documents just before the election related to Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom. And you see that? Yeah, Ukraine. Ukraine. Hasn't that country been in the news a lot? Didn't Hunter Biden work there for $87,000 a month? And these are the documents that Joe Biden apparently chose to hold on to. And Joe himself has extensive experience in Ukraine. Remember going all the way over there to meet with that president and insist of all the countries in the world. I always wanted to know the answer to this question. How many countries did Joe Biden go and insist that their prosecutor be fired? Huh? Did he do that in Argentina? I don't think so. It was one country, Ukraine, where Hunter had a job. And Joe being Joe, he bragged about it. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. Tough guy. Tough talk. That's also known as a quid pro quo. And it was very, very weird. So where are we? Ukraine, documents in Joe Biden's office. That's a, you know... Joe has entanglements with countries all over the world. So does Hunter, especially Hunter. And we believe Joe may have been the beneficiary of all of Hunter's shady business dealings. And they were shady. All right. Now, let's get to the Joe Biden part of this equation and his brief academic career. Uh, the Biden Center for Diplomacy and whatever, right? Nice, sweet office that looks like it has less security than a Marriott Hotel Conference Center, right? The business center at the bottom of the hotel. It's at 101 Constitution Avenue, Washington, D.C. Guess what else is in that building? We looked it up, and uh, lots of people have businesses there. There's a steakhouse. There's another cafe. There are two restaurants, actually. You can rent a car there. There's a lot going on in this building where Joe Biden apparently put classified documents. And when he got there... 2017, 2018, he was not the vice president of the United States. He was an ex-vice president of the United States. That'll be important in a moment. A steakhouse, everybody. A steakhouse. That was there. Oh, I checked out the parking situation, right? Uh, they're pretty serious about parking. There's a sign that says you can't park here if you don't work here. Okay, <laughs> no security guard, nothing like that. Compare that to Mar-a-Lago, anyone? Everything you see is owned by Donald Trump, members only, and it's protected by the Secret Service still. I'd say that's pretty secure. Remember when the fake news freaked out about uh, the secret documents that Donald Trump was said to have had? 
Then there is Mar-a-Lago itself, right? The more we learn about the porous nature of, of the beach club, it sounds like a lot of people were coming in and out of Mar-a-Lago. You can't just have them lying around in boxes at Mar-a-Lago where different people can just walk in and read those documents. So this is a very serious matter. You don't have to make too many jumps to realize how, how many people at Mar-a-Lago and the type of people at Mar-a-Lago who could have uh, potentially had access to this, these documents. The place is filled with foreign nationals. It's filled with the type of grifters who have always flocked to Donald Trump and have always tried to get close to him because they see opportunities. Hey, shut up. I've been to Mar-a-Lago. It's not like that at all. Uh, all right. You know, Mar-a-Lago is members only. Can I see the restaurant at Joe Biden's uh, office? <laughs> Look at that little kid taking pictures. Look at all those people there. I'm saying that <laughs> Mar-a-Lago, in comparison, is a fortress compared to where Joe Biden had these documents. It's an absolute fortress compared to this arrangement. And Joe Biden showed up there again as an ex-vice president of the United States. He had no entitlement to any classified material. And what's his excuse for all of this? The news at home, can you explain how classified documents ended up in one of your offices? And should the public have been notified sooner? Well, let me get rid of the easy one first. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol, when I, the four years after being vice president, I was a professor at Penn. Uh, they found some documents in a box, in a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives. And I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully cooperating fully with the review and which I hope will be finished soon and uh, will be more detail at that time. Wow. Lawyers all over the place. Lawyers cooperating fully. Uh, if he's moving out of his office, doesn't he have like 70 grandkids? <laughs> Why would you need lawyers to do this if it's not sensitive information? He knew it was sensitive information, perhaps. How did they get there? He was not vice president when he made this arrangement with the Biden, uh, I'm sorry, with the University of Pennsylvania. Mar-a-Lago, again, in comparison, a fortress. And oh, by the way, the swamp, <laughs> what they did to Donald Trump and what they're doing to Donald Trump over this. Let's go back to January 20th, 2021. This is what happened. These boxes are leaving the White House. I kind of expect somebody who's moving to uh, have material like this when they're moving. Some swamp guy at the National Archives sees this, gets this, he sees it on TV, and he says, I can remember watching the Trumps leaving the White House and saying to myself, what the hell's in that box? Next, this is the National Archive chief. That began a whole process of trying to determine when it, whether any records had not been turned over to the archives. They called the FBI because he was moving out. Now, here's something that I think totally exonerates Donald Trump. 
on this issue. Uh, ready? When he left the White House, Donald Trump, on Inauguration Day 2021, he was the President of the United States at that moment, 8.13 in the morning. Uh, a couple of hours later, we all know he did not go to the inauguration. He arrives at Palm Beach Airport, West Palm Beach, at 11 in the morning. He is still President of the United States. A short ride over to Mar-a-Lago. It's about five minutes away, 11.32. He met with some folks at the airport. He is still president of the United States. When those documents are brought to Mar-a-Lago, he is the sitting president of the United States. Maybe only minutes to go, but any classified document in the government, if he wanted to look at them all the way up until 12 noon, he had the right. And he had the right to access them. Joe Biden was sworn in as president of the United States. Unconstitutionally, by the way, he jumped the gun by 13 minutes. And this is important. you got to remember this. President Trump was president when he got to Mar-a-Lago with those documents, we believe. In 2018, when Joe Biden had access to the Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania, it's 2018. Joe has been an ex-vice president for over a year, he had no access. You know, there's a world of difference between being an ex-president and an ex-vice president. When you're an ex-vice president, you're basically just a guy who had a cool job and maybe you can go on a book tour. Take a look at this from Bob Woodward's Peril. When Biden showed up at an event, he was dropped by a single publishing representative. No security, no aides. That was in 2018. And it drove him crazy. He wanted those perks back. I think it's a big reason why he ran for president. Meanwhile, he also had no authority to declassify anything. Trump, as president of the United States, in charge of the national defense establishment, had the right, had the authority to declassify anything, any piece of paper in the government. I do believe, and we've spoken to Kash Patel about this, just by looking at the documents and declassifying, he had the authority. Joe Biden, on the other hand, <laughs> he was the president of the Senate. That's all the vice president gets to do. And of course, they never trusted Joe Biden when he was vice president. Not one bit. And I bet people in the know like Obama trust him even less now that he was apparently squirreling documents about Iran, the UK and Ukraine in some office downtown on top of a restaurant. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Do you remember Harry Dunn, the crybaby cop from January 6th? This guy is dangerous. This man right here represents fascism, and it's a threat to all of us. We'll be right back. Well, it's happened. Today is the day my book is available in bookstores across the country and in Canada, I'm told. It's very cool. It's called Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. I did this in defense of cops. It is, one reviewer called it, a scathing critique of Black Lives Matter. I also talk about the origins, about how Black Lives Matter was essentially designed to give Barack Obama political cover. This is an effort to have an honest conversation about race instead of the hideously foolish one we're having right now. It's in defense of cops, but not all cops, quite frankly. Those who allowed themselves to be so politicized on Capitol Hill 
talking about those guys. Yeah, the January 6th cops. And in particular, Harry Dunn, the big guy on the right, okay? Harry Dunn. Yeah, that picture, actually, that was something else. I did not believe the fake tears, quite frankly. This picture is actually, I put that picture in the book. Here's, uh, let me set this up for a moment, and it's in my book. And as much as we support law enforcement and those who serve in uniform, I think this is worthy of your consideration. Do not be intimidated by uniforms. This may sound paradoxical because this whole book is about respect for law and order. But as an ex-military officer, I feel confident in telling you that people who wear uniforms in order to bully other people into submission, whether politically or by force, are cowards and rascals. Soldiers and police officers are not our leaders or legislators. They are servants. The job they do is underappreciated and difficult and they deserve our respect and cooperation. But when people in uniform put themselves as political spokesmen, as with the January 6th cops, that's the beginning of actual fascism. These police officers were not elected. And here they are lecturing the country with force. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. Now that's Officer Michael Fanone, and I'll give him this. He retired from the police department, he works over at CNN now, and he's free to say whatever he wants, whenever, wherever, goodbye and good luck. But Harry Dunn, on the other hand, he's still a Capitol Hill police officer. He is an armed Capitol Hill police officer. He's around members of Congress all the time, Except when he's at the White House receiving gold medals from the President of the United States, as he was on Friday, the two-year anniversary of January 6th. There he is in the big baggy suit in the back. Here he comes. Okay. And after that, it was over to MSNBC. All right. He's being feted everywhere. Remember, he is still a police officer. That's going to get very important in a moment. ABC, this week with George Stephanopoulos, more of Harry Dunn. <laughs> Enough, right? He's a hero. Just ask him. January 6th. Give me some words that come to mind. Horror. Dark. Anger. Betrayal. Wow. That's, uh... So overplayed. <laughs> We've heard this a million times. It, we're immune to it. And oh, by the way, you saw those images. Can I show you some other images from the summer of Black Lives Matter? Why are these images? Why are the cops considered the bad guys in these pictures? But on January 6th, it's the other way around. I always wondered about that. All right, next, please. You posted something on Twitter back in September that you know, stopped me in my tracks. Quote, I've been struggling the last few days. This weekend I had PTSD flare-up. It was scary. I share this with the hope that someone who might read this who has been struggling also will come to realize that even strong people need help. That moment in time hit me so hard. It's because I have made such good progress to heal and be able to deal with these emotions and these feelings you know, I could walk in and not be phased by seeing a Confederate flag. 
but it was all just like out of nowhere just ripped away from me and and it it broke me you know it, it broke me kind of seems like he's reading from a script right he said this story over and over and over again triggered by a maga hat how many confederate flags does this guy really see on a daily basis i don't believe anything about his story actually especially this part i'm still haunted by you being called the n-word a word's a weapon and on that day it was used as a weapon it's a weapon but yet i still stand and tall i stand tall not really you don't belong in uniform again he is still an active duty cop and by the way why don't i believe him he said on national television multiple times that he was called the n-word I haven't seen that. Have you? We have security footage. We have body cam footage. We have a million cell phones all over the place. Did you hear the N-word on January 6th? He's besmirching America with these horrible comments. But this is the dangerous part. Remember, he is an armed police officer. He works on Capitol Hill. And here is his political views on multiple subjects. Let me try this free speech thing out. F you, Donald. All right, I guess he wrote that when he was off duty. You could argue that that's constitutionally protected. But what about this? What about this? This is just the other, this is just in November. To the reelected and newly elected public officials, congratulations on winning your hard fought elections. However, that wasn't your job. Your job is just getting started. Your job is to represent the people who elected you. It's not about you, it's about your constituents. Thanks, Dunn. Next, please, he goes on with his lecture. Deliver on the promises that you ran on. People who voted for you have put their trust in you, and it shouldn't be misplaced. Be transparent with your voters, and most importantly, be honest. Congratulations again, but the real work starts now. See you in D.C. That's creepy. He sounds like somehow he's the boss, like he's their supervisor. He's a Capitol Hill cop. He has a gun. And yeah, he's going to be seeing these people every day. This is fascism. This is the start of it. Unelected, exerting authority, and he's armed. Anybody? Capitol Hill Police Department has a real problem on its hand. Folks, once again, the book is called Justice for All by me, Greg Kelly, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. Tell you what, not many people are going to go there as I just did, and I do it in this book. Thank you for your support of the show, and I'd appreciate it if you uh, checked it out because I think it could really, I think it could help some people and help this national conversation, okay? Because it's been way too silly for way too long. I'll be right back. No blind rhetoric. No talking down to me. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. I trust Newsmax. 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 They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide. Real news for real people. So Diamond and Silk, you heard the news. Diamond died at the age of 51. Uh, Diamond, Lynette Hardaway, 
a native of North Carolina, along with her sister. They got really kind of famous in 2016 as these two outspoken and wonderfully entertaining um, supporters of Donald Trump. Very smart, very insightful, very funny, very engaging. Um, they've been on this show, I think, three times over the years. And we were allies on Twitter. Never actually met them in person, I'm sorry to say. But uh, here's a moment. Every time I look at the left, the only standards that these left-leaning liberals have are their double standards. We need to understand that we are one race, and that's the human, human race. race. And let's get our, the context of our color. Let's get that out the equation. People need to understand we are the United States of America, America. not the United States of Antifa, and not the United States of Black Lives Matter, that's but right. the United States of America. Yeah. I love it. And uh, we'll miss him. So no word actually yet, I think, on the cause of death. Just 51 years old. But President Trump put out a beautiful statement on Truth Social. There they are at the White House. Wow. There is real genuine affection uh, between the three of these folks. Take a look at this statement, if you would. Uh, again, from President Trump on Truth Social. Okay, it's a big one. Uh, really bad news for Republicans and, frankly, all Americans. Our beautiful diamond of diamond and silk has just passed away at her home in the state she loves so much, North Carolina. Silk was with her all the way and at her passing. There was no better team anywhere or at any time. Diamond's death was totally unexpected. Probably her big and precious heart just plain gave out. Rest in peace, our magnificent diamond. You will be greatly missed. Beautiful woman, beautiful statement. Diamond and silk. Uh, our best wishes to silk uh, in all of this, and uh, we'll be staying tuned. All right. And back to Joe Biden for a moment and those, uh, those documents. Joe Biden, he had a job at the University of Pennsylvania. But what part of the University of Pennsylvania? Do you see that? He actually worked at the Andrea Mitchell Center for the Study of Democracy. Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell. Where have we heard that name before? Andrea. She's a crazy anchor on MSNBC. A Trump-hating, over-the-top, uh, lamestream, fake news anchor. And she has a democracy center at the University of Pennsylvania? Is that crazy or what? Well, this is how swampy things are. Uh, she's married to... Um, Michael Greenspan, the former Fed chairman. Wow, how about a power couple? Remember him? He was in charge of the Fed from like, I don't know, the late 80s to uh, early 2000s, I think. That's something else. Uh, she is a total and complete Trump hater, by the way. President Trump is winding down a presidency that broke so many norms with a chaotic month of false claims, political attacks against leading members of his own party, and grievances that he promises to carry into political battles yet to come. He cannot stick to a subject. It is remarkable. And when he doesn't know something, he just changes the subject, makes it all about the national He is completely uneducated about any okay. part of the world. He is not playing by anybody's ground rules except Donald Trump's. Hey, she calls herself a straight news reporter, by the way, uh, when she's not running the Democracy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. She actually uh, interviewed Joe Biden uh, there. It's her center. So she interviews Joe, the new teacher. Watch this moment. I don't have access to classified information anymore. I don't get briefed every morning by the agency, as I did for eight years. 
doesn't have access except for the documents that were probably three feet away from him in some drawer. The guy is just addicted, addicted to lying. Hey, we'll be right back with Peter Schweitzer. And did you hear about that man? He's in a custody battle. Looks like his ex-wife wants to change the gender of the child. It's crazy. We'll be right back. one of the most hideous images I've ever seen, and it's uh, becoming commonplace. This drag stuff in schools and the fixation on gender. I think it's having an impact. Take a look at these numbers. Uh, it's doubled. 300,000 teens identify as transgender. That's twice as high than in just, what, five years ago, six years ago? Now, you may have heard something about this case. It's fascinating and it's tragic at the same time. Maybe there's hope here, though. Uh, Jeffrey Younger, he received a lot of attention last year, uh, Turning Point USA reporting in that custody battle he had with his ex-wife, Anne. Um, now, the wife, the mother, claimed that their seven-year-old child, James, identified as a girl and wanted to be called Luna and claimed that she believed James to be a girl because he liked Frozen, wanted to wear dresses and wanted girl toys while at McDonald's. Now, not only did Jeffrey Younger disagree with the notion that a seven-year-old has the capacity to identify as transgender, he did not believe James even wanted to associate with female traits. Uh, there was a heated custody battle. Younger lost his joint custody of his children, um, but I believe partial custody was awarded. In December, it was revealed that the wife was taking their children to California, which was deemed itself a sanctuary state of children seeking medical transitions. After seeing this, Younger wrote in a petition to regain his rights of custody, but the Supreme Court of Texas has now ruled against Younger. Uh, Jeffrey Younger, welcome to uh, Newsmax. How are you? And uh, by the way, it just kind of summarized it, and there's a lot of fake news out there. Are, are those the essential elements? Yeah, um, basically, uh, I, I got a divorce in 2016. We had a, another trial in 2019 over the transgender issue. I won that trial. I got 50-50 custody and no child support. The corrupt Democrats in Dallas County took me out of that court, put me in the 301st District Court with Judge Mary Brown, and Judge Mary Brown has refused to implement the jury verdict and systematically stripped me of my parental rights using temporary orders. So what are your ex-wife's plans for your son's future? Well, one can only surmise. She testified uh, in court that she intends to move to California. She intends to move the case to California. I don't think it's an accident that, that the timing of her move was right after the transgender sanctuary bill was passed in California. Um, it's, I don't think it's an accident that the particular rights that the judge has taken away from me mean that I can't comply with California's frequent contact statutes, which sets me up to lose my parental rights involuntarily in California because I don't know where my children are. I can't even write them a letter. I have no electronic contact with them. I can only do uh, supervised visits by flying into L.A. County and having them supervised. The costs for that are about... $3,500 to $4,000 per visit. So they're trying to keep me from seeing my sons. 
so that California, uh, she can file a case in California and terminate my parental rights. Are you surprised with Texas, the decision from Texas? I'm, I'm not, because I'm a native Texan. Uh, I, I've lived here all my life. Uh, Texas is a state with a very conservative population that is ruled by liberals. So the Republicans in the, in, that are elected at the highest levels of the government, um, the, the Supreme Court justices, could just as well be Democrats. They don't, they're not really loyal to any party. They're funded mainly by the big donors of the Republican Party, who are all Northeastern liberals, and they follow a Northeastern liberal agenda. So it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Hey, do me a favor, though. I mean, uh, popular perception, I thought Texas was on top of this. I thought Texas was that state, you know, Governor Abbott and the AG there. They wanted to essentially criminalize, and I think appropriately so, uh, some of this treatment for children. But they're just deferring to California. Yeah, um, I'm a political problem for the governor in this state. And if he can move my case to California, I stop being a political problem for him. And I think that's the calculation the establishment in Texas has made. Well, that's regrettable. All right. Do you know anything? You said you surmised uh, your ex-wife's plans, but is there anything imminent? Chemical castration obviously is scary. And I wonder, though, is it permanent? Is it permanent? We're talking about chemical. Can that be reversed? Probably not, I'm guessing. Can't be reversed. Uh, this is why uh, the nations that have been doing this the longest for 25 years, Sweden, Finland, the United Kingdom, France, have all since banned the practice. Uh, they did that last year. Uh, you can't do this to children anymore there. Um, look, puberty is a, a process of psychological, social, and physical development that occurs at a specific time in a child's life. If you interrupt the time at which these things occur, there's no way to go back and, and get it back. Further, if you administer cross-sex hormones, which is part of the chemical castration protocol, you also sterilize the child permanently. They'll never be able to have children. And that's the basis. The sterilization is the basis on which the Texas Attorney General determined that under current st Texas statutes, it's already child abuse. So you have to wonder why a Texas court wouldn't treat this more seriously and why they would allow my children to stay with a woman who, is, uh, who had taken my child to a gender clinic to transition when he was five. Well... Obviously, and this happens in custody battles. She accuses you of this, that, and the other thing. But looking through here, sir, I don't buy that. I am on your side. Let me ask you this. What are your options? What are your child's options at this point? I'm the only one that, as far as I can tell, uh, the, in the state of Texas, the executive branch has abandoned my sons. They will not protect them. The judicial branch not only has abandoned my sons, but has abetted their abuse. Uh, the legislature has refused to act and pass laws. I've gone down to the legislature twice. I've produced more political power for bills to ban transgender child abuse than almost any bill in Texas history by quantitative measures. And at this point, I can only conclude that I'm the only thing that's still between my son and a terrible outcome. So I have to weigh what my options are. I'm going to pursue some, some legal action uh, in Texas. I, I'm going to uh, pursue some legal action, perhaps even against the judge. Mm. And you may see me in federal court very soon. Yes, indeed. And let's uh, maybe we'll pray for some divine intervention as well. Jeffrey Younger, um, good luck in this uh, totally bizarre, shouldn't be happening situation. 
We appreciate it very much, Jeffrey. It's nice to talk to you. I know millions are familiar with your case and, and on your side. All the best. Thank you. We'll be right back. Doesn't that look like one of those business centers at a Marriott hotel, right? They still have fax machines and that kind of thing, and they still have those somewhere. Anyway, it's the Penn Biden Center, home of Joe Biden's no-show job. For two years, he got about a million bucks from the University of Pennsylvania just to hang around occasionally. But you know by now that classified material documents were discovered inside Joe Biden's office uh, there at the D.C. location. Ten classified documents discovered just before the election related to Ukraine, Iran, and the U.K. This is just one center. What about his home? What about his other offices? Um, Joe Biden has, well, he kind of issued a non-denial denial, as Joe Biden does. He's uh, in Mexico talking about it. Look, nobody knows, uh, I think, Joe Biden shenanigans better than Peter Schweitzer, He's the president of the Government Accountability Institute. He's had his eye on Joe Biden for a long time. His recent book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Peter, welcome back. How are you and what do you make of this? Uh, it's great to be with you as always, Greg. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's just another example of how the rules that apply to us or apply to other political leaders don't seem to apply to the Bidens. Um, that's the troubling nature of this. Um, you know, I think in any case, whether you're talking Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Joe Biden, when it comes to documents and the handling of documents, you want it to be done correctly. But the problem is, is that people sometimes make mistakes and you have to treat circumstances equally. And they clearly have not done that. Uh, in the case of Donald Trump, uh, they, they, you know, sent in uh, armed people, uh, even though there had been discussions going on. And in the case of Joe Biden, when there are these documents, uh, they don't go in with guns. In fact, they don't even let the public know uh, until well after a political political election has been held. So uh, it's really quite troubling. And again, an example of this disparate uh, justice system that we have in America today. Joe had a rambling um, answer to all of this. And at one point he says, I take classified documents and I thought he was going to say home all the time. <laughs> but he, instead, he said, I take it seriously. Uh, let's take a look at this, because there's a lot going on here, potentially. On the news at home, can you explain how classified documents ended up in one of your offices? And should the public have been notified sooner? Well, let me get rid of the easy one first. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol, when I, the four years after being vice president, I was a professor at Penn. Uh, they found some documents in a box, you know, a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives, and I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. 
and we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon, and uh, there'll be more detail at that time. Uh, a lot of lawyers involved in moving boxes. Uh, I've got some thoughts, but Peter, what do you make of what we just saw there? Well, you know, a couple of things, Greg. First of all, the timeline really doesn't make sense. I mean, he says that his lawyers were cleaning out his office from the Penn Center, presumably when he was elected president and took the oath of office in January of 2021. Uh, and this was only uh, known to federal officials, apparently, according to the record, before the election, but it was not publicly released in November of 2022. Uh, I don't think it takes his lawyers, you know, 17, 18, 19 months uh, to move boxes. So uh, I, I don't think the timeline here works for him. The other thing we have to keep in mind, Greg, is how bad this could have been. Uh, let's remember that the original plan uh, on Hunter Biden's laptop was that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were going to be sharing office space in Washington, D.C. with CEFC, a Chinese energy company. In fact, Hunter Biden even had the nameplates made. Uh, they were literally going to be in the same suite of offices. So you could have had a scenario here, Greg, where there were classified documents in Joe Biden's office, and you had an energy company that, that is now known to be connected to Chinese intelligence literally next door. Um, so, you know, I don't think that happened at the Penn Center. But again, you know, it, it's just strange to me the different standards that people apply. Uh, I when when the information came out and President Trump and the, and the documents, I certainly said, hey, look, you know, we need to do a better job of handling these things. Um, I say the same thing here with Biden. But this sort of nonchalant attitude, he dismisses it by saying, well, everybody knows I take documents seriously. Uh, just doesn't wash. We need to have the same rules for everybody. Uh, I do think there's another critical difference between this and President Trump. I'll get to that uh, in a moment. But let's emphasize, in 2018, when that office is established, he's not the vice president. He's an ex-vice president of the United States. So he would have no access to this kind of, this kind of material. And uh, if you don't mind, let's go and do this now. President Trump, when he left the White House, he was still president of the United States. He was a sitting president of the United States. And when he got to Mar-a-Lago, he was still president of the United States. Joe Biden was sworn in at, uh, when was that, 11.45 or so in the morning. He's president the entire time. I always thought that this kind of exonerated Trump, this totally and completely exonerated, because on Inauguration Day, he arrived there as president of the United States. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yes. Yes, it does. I mean, look, they are different categories. Um, my view has always been that if you look at the timeline of President Trump and the National Archives, there was a dialogue going on. Trump's lawyers were engaged with the National Archives. The National Archives said some of the documents belonged in the archives, and there were discussions going on. Um, I'm not an expert on records, so I don't know exactly how that lays down. But my point is, there was a discussion and a dialogue going on, and that dialogue essentially was interrupted by this FBI raid, uh, which was completely ridiculous. Uh, that's not the way it is, was handled with Joe Biden with these documents. That's certainly not the way it was handled with Hillary Clinton. Remember, Hillary Clinton not only had documents, some of them top secret on her laptop, 
She actually destroyed them. She actually destroyed those documents, which in and of itself is a crime. Mm. Uh, and yet, of course, the FBI sort of said, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about this, et cetera. So it's these inconsistencies that are just wrong. And let me tell you, Greg, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The biggest example or evidence of the decline of a civilization is not the lack of free elections, however important those are. It's when the criminal justice system is no longer trusted because there are completely different standards applied to different people. And that is the direction we are headed in this country if we're not there already. Um, Ukraine, by the way, one of the documents related to Ukraine, <laughs> that's very suspicious, where Hunter had a job and... Joe insisted that prosecutor be fired. Let me just run this by you for a moment. And uh, mm -hmm. Joe Biden obviously has major liabilities. Any rational person who knows anything about anything can see he's not up to running uh, a presidential campaign, running uh, for re-election. But apparently he's going to be the guy. Now, could this moment, could this be somehow swamp controlled? Somebody wants to hurt Joe Biden on, on the Democrat side. And that's why this is a thing right now. Um, because if I were a Democrat and I <laughs> believed in America, I would recognize that I have a real problem in Joe Biden being president. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting theory, Greg, and it could possibly be true. I mean, look, if you if you look at the lay of the land politically right now, and this is what the polls indicate, uh, basically, if you are in Biden's inner circle in the White House, you want him to run because you want your position, you want your access, you want your relationships. The rest of the Democratic establishment does not want Joe Biden to run. Uh, they feel like he's too old, uh, that he's only going to get older and then he's gonna get more frail, and he's not gonna have the luxury, as far as we know, of being able to hide out in his basement like he did during the 2020 election and basically avoid any serious campaigning. So I think you're quite right. There are lots of Democrats that would like to see him step aside. I think there are people like Gavin Newsom in California, the governor who are chomping at the bit to run. Uh, and I think a lot of Democrats would argue would be a stronger candidate than Joe Biden. And all those lawyers moving boxes again. I think he has like 50 grandkids. Get them to move the boxes. It's very weird. Peter Schweitzer, we appreciate it so much. The Government Accountability Institute, so important. You can also go to thedrilldown.com. Great stuff there. Thank you, Peter Schweitzer. Thanks, Greg. Be right back. Thank you very, very much. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm enjoying the show. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow night.